Thank you for tuning in with us at Bayou City Fellowship Spring Branch, a community that is radically focused on Jesus. What has gone wrong with our world and how can it be put right? There are 66 books in the Bible, but to understand sin and redemption through Jesus, you must start with the first book, where God breathed life and set the stage for an unfolding story of His living word. Join us as we go through the book of Genesis in this sermon series titled, Grace Upon Grace. Good morning, it's good to see all of you today. We have been walking together through the life of Jacob. And, you know, we might think at this point that he's, you know, he's been liberated from Laban and they've returned to the land, that, that things are kind of stabilized and they're experiencing a lot of blessing. But that's not what's happening. We saw a couple of weeks ago how they returned to the land, but not to their home. They cut their journey short and went to Shechem instead. And then last week we saw how Dinah, Jacob's daughter, was, was brutally attacked and how her brother Simeon Levi took vengeance out on some of the locals and killed a lot of people and plundered a town. Uh, it's, it's a time of transition and a time of tragedies. And the transi- transitions and tragedies aren't over. Uh, in this chapter we'll look at today, chapter 35, there's more to come, including the deaths of some very dear and important members of the family. Uh, And through it all, Jacob's role has changed. This chapter 35 is his final scene in the starring role. Going forward, he will be in a supporting role in the story of Joseph. And the support he gives isn't all that good. But in today's chapter, in this final scene... Jacob gets it right. He discovers what it means, not simply to be the hero of your own story, but to support others on their journey. He learned how to make the transition from hero to guide. That's what we're going to look at today, that transition. You know, guides come in many forms. We saw a lot of them up here just a moment ago. And let me tell you, pretty much everything you know need to know about how to be a guide to your child who was captured in those beautiful prayers that those parents wrote for their kids. But there are a lot of different hats you wear as a guide. It might be as a parent to a child. It might be as an older parent to a younger parent. It might be in, a, in the workplace to someone who reports to you, either formally or maybe informally, just someone you can influence. It could be a teacher. You could be a coach. It might be just friend to friend or spouse to spouse. You know, when you reach my age of 64, uh, you spend most of your time being a guide and very little time being a hero anymore. Your your life is all about other people's stories and not your own. But, you know, you don't have to wait till you're 64 to have that transition because I think every one of you right now, when I talk about the people that God has placed in your life to, uh, to influence for him, you probably have some people in mind. And what I'd like to do today is see what we can discover from Jacob's example about how to be a great guide and and hear the voice of the person that God has brought to your mind right now. And let me warn you, there are a lot of people that God has put around you. And one of the challenges, once you start taking this really seriously, is to understand, well, who is it that I'm supposed to be building into to that extent? Well, let's just start with the person God's already got you thinking about. And as I talk today, I want you to hear me speaking, if I can, kind of in their voice, their voice appealing to you of what kind of guide 
they need you to be. And that's what we're going to look at. We're in Genesis chapter 35, and we're going to start in verse 1. This is right after the chapter with, with what happened to Dinah and what Simeon and Levi did. So Genesis chapter 35, verse 1. God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. God's calling Jacob back to Bethel. And he's referring to that place that, uh, where they met back in chapter 28, where God first told him about how he's with them and he had that incredible vision of the stairway to heaven and all. And it was on that occasion that Jacob made that vow to God, saying, if you're gonna be with me like this, then you're gonna be my God. Now that vow he made back in chapter 28 included all until I get back to my father's house. Well, he hadn't made it all the way back to his father's house yet. So there's a little bit of an unfulfilled vow here going on. But, but notice the word about dwell there. He, he's calling Jacob, and not just Jacob, but the entire family, to leave Shechem, to carry on with their journey south, all the way back to their homeland. And that is really very timely when you consider the heartache that they're experiencing there in Shechem of what's going on in the family. Because you see, he's, he's not just speaking to Jacob here. He's speaking through Jacob to the entire family. One of the things that's kind of happened here is that Jacob and his descendants, they've kind of become complacent and they've drifted a little bit away from God and they're not hearing him as clearly anymore. And so the first thing that I need you to do as my guide is I need you to listen for God's voice. I need you to listen for God's voice because I'm listening to a lot of different voices and sometimes God gets drowned out. Speaking on behalf of the person that, that you're thinking of. You know, I, there's a lot going on in my life and there's a lot of noise and if I'm a little bit older, you know, I'm, I'm absorbed by those voices. It's constant. You've heard statistics about 4,000 4, to 10,000 messages a day, advertising messages, immersion in social media. Many of you who are older, I mean, you know what it's like. You're in meetings all day and you're hearing voices all the time and then you get in your car and you turn on the radio and here's more. Or maybe you're listening to podcasts. It's this constant barrage and as a person that, that God has called you to walk beside, I'm saying to you, I don't always hear God's voice that clearly in the midst of all that. It really does get drowned out sometimes. And so the first thing I need you to do for me as my guide is I need you to listen for me, for God, when I'm not. I need you to hear the things he needs to say to me, but I'm not paying attention. So listen for me because God's voice gets drowned out. That's the first thing I need from you as a guide. But there's more. Look at verse two. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Verse four, so they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them underneath the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. Notice what he's calling them to do. He's heard from God, but he doesn't let it stop there. He then issues a call to the people. Put away the foreign gods, purify yourselves, change your garments, arise and go. It's a call to action. 
And as my guide, I need you to call me forward. I need you to call me forward because I'm pretty busy going sideways and sometimes backwards. You know, one of the things I'm gonna learn, I'm speaking again to you as the person you, God's called you to walk beside. One of the things I'm gonna learn in hanging around Christianity is I'm gonna learn how to traffic and unlive truth. I'm gonna learn how to get educated way beyond my obedience. I'm gonna learn how to learn things that haven't changed my life. I, I'm gonna learn how to just accumulate information and not act on it. But you see, instruction is necessary, but it's not sufficient. I need a call to action. You know, a teacher offers wisdom, and that's indispensable. But a guide offers a plan. Do this. So as my guide, I need you to take the truth of God and then help me understand what I'm supposed to do with it. How I can live it out specifically. What this situation I'm in calls for. How I'm supposed to behave differently. Because if I have to figure it out on my own, I'm probably not going to take that step. I'll learn something about God and I'll leave it right there. I need you to call me forward. That's number two. Now, reading on. Verse five. As they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and he called the place El Bethel because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. So off they went. But notice what it says. Jacob came to Luz, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar. He did not send them on ahead on their own. He actually went with them. This is something they were gonna do together. So as my guide, I need you to do more than just call me forward. I need you to show me the way. Because when I walk alone, I can wander off the path. Now the truth is, I'll never really walk alone. Because you, if you instruct me and then just kind of turn me loose, I'm not gonna be alone. The world's gonna be with me. There are gonna be plenty of people around me. Whether it's kids at school or whether it's coworkers who are telling me how to live my life. They're happy to build into my life. They're happy to show me the way. They're happy to make the journey with me and invite me to make their journey with them. And so it's not enough to just sort of instruct me and send me on my way because those people are ready to receive me and take me in a different direction. I need you to show me the way, to walk with me, to walk beside me. You know, it's been said, you can influence at a distance, but you can only impact up close. I want you to impact me, and that means I need you to be with me and not just send me along the way on my own while you're busy focusing on something else. So listen for God's voice. Call me forward. Show me the way. Now verse nine. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Now, this has happened before, hasn't it? He's repeating it here. He's reinforcing this new identity that Jacob has. So he called his name Israel. Then verse 11, notice this. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. 
and I will give the land to your offspring after you. You know, those first few verses focus on Jacob, but the ones we just looked at focus on a much bigger story. It's not just about Jacob. It's not gonna end there. A community of nations is gonna come from you and kings will come from you. Some of this has been said before, this element about kings, that's new. But this is a promise that was made all the way back to Abraham and then to his son Isaac, and now it's being made to his son Jacob. This is a long story that spans generations. And so is yours. So is yours. And so as my guide, I need you to remind yourself, it's not about me. I need you to remind yourself of that because that's what it means to be a guide. One of the greatest challenges about being a guide is that you have to take the focus off yourself. I mentioned a moment ago at 64, most of what I do now is, is in the role of a guide. Any role I had as a hero, that's, that, that part of the story is past. And I can tell you, it's not easy to, to come to the realization that kind of the part of the story where I was gonna be the hero, that that's over. I mean, there are all sorts of things you think, well, I was hoping to do this and I was hoping to accomplish that and all. And, and you know, God's not done using you when you're a guide. He's just gonna use you through somebody else. But see, that transition happens as soon as God puts other people next to you. Whether it's a child or a friend or a spouse, whether it's a coworker, as soon as God puts somebody within range that you can influence for him, suddenly it's not all about us anymore. It's about them. And the challenge of being a guide is, is, is really understanding that. And, it's, and it's, there's a trap here that you can, it's so easy to fall into. It's a trap of, of living out your dreams through somebody else instead of helping them live out God's dreams for them. And this can happen with parents. You know, parents who, who sort of see their kids as a fulfillment of their dreams, the things they never accomplished, or the image they would like to project to people around them because of how wonderful the kids are. It's about mom and dad. Or it can happen, this happens a lot. It can happen in, a, in, a, in the workplace where a leader sees the people around them as, as a means to some other end. As though the reason they're there and their whole purpose for being is that to you know, make the bottom line look better. After all, why else are they there? But to be a guide to somebody is to understand that what God really wants for them is their own growth and their own development. Them being everything God made them to be. And I can promise you, if you start looking at people around you that way, your bottom line's gonna be fine. But the switch in thinking is really hard to, to come to grips with the fact that it's not about you anymore. It's about how God wants to use you in the life of somebody else and the difference you can make in them. And if you're gonna be my guide, I need you to remember that because it can so, easy, so easily get turned around. Well, he kind of wraps up this section in verse 13. He says this, then God went up from him in that place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. He's worshiping God and he's not alone. He brought other people with him. And by the way, they're not going back. Remember, the, the, the idols that they buried, they buried and left them behind. And they, by the way, they buried them so nobody else would find them. They don't want anybody worshiping these things. They didn't sell them. They didn't give them away. They buried them. 
get them out of play. And they moved on. And now they're heading south. Along the way, something happened in verse eight. We sort of skipped over it. Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died. And she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alam Bakuth. Beloved member of the family. She'd been Rebecca's nurse. And now she's part of Jacob's extended family. And she, she died. But this isn't the last death. They're gonna move on. They're gonna head south. They're gonna go past what we now think of as Bethlehem all the way down to Hebron where is the family home. But along the way, verse 16, then they journeyed from Bethel when they were still some distance from Ephrath, that's Bethlehem. Rachel went into labor and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, a midwife says to her, do not fear for you have another son. And as her soul was departing for she was dying, she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and they buried, there, buried her there in Ephrath, Bethlehem. So Rachel's gone now. Another tragedy. And then verse 22, while Israel lived in that land, they're moving south gradually, but while he lived there, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now his oldest son, what is this, a power play? Probably. We saw Absalom do something similar to, to David years later, uh, you know, kind of laying claim to, to, the, to the patriarchy of the family, to the leadership role. Israel didn't do anything about it here, but we find out in chapter 49 that it impacted uh, his, his blessing and what God would be free to do through the tribe of Reuben. But, but another tragedy, another crisis happening in the family. And then in the verses that follow, a list of the tribes of Israel, just showing you the focus has shifted. It's shifted from Jacob to his sons and their stories. It's not about him. He's not in a starring role anymore. He's in a supporting role. But the story has shifted. And then finally, verses 27 and following, they, they come home all the way to Isaac. And just in time, it seems, for uh, Isaac to die. And so Isaac dies. And Jacob and Esau are there together to bury their father. Transition after transition, tragedy after tragedy. And all along the way, you know, the family needs a guide like this. Chapter 36 is sort of odd. It's uh, kind of what became of Esau. And it looks like just a long list of names and everything. There's something pretty significant happening here. Because when they came back to Hebron, now Jacob and his extended family are there with Esau and his extended family. It's getting kind of crowded. And the beginning of chapter 36 explains, you know, there was really too many people and too many herds and too much everything for them to coexist in one land. And Esau saw that. And of course, Jacob had stolen his birthright a long, long time before, and he realized that this land was really Jacob's at this point. And so Esau needed to pull out and move on. So he moved on to Edom. That's sort of southeast of the Dead Sea. So whatever became of them, well, that's what chapter 36 is about. And if you read it, it's pretty impressive because what you see is, is tribal chieftains coming from among his descendants. You see them outnumbering the people of Edom. You see the two groups merging and great kings coming from that line. And it's very impressive. And throughout that chapter, on three occasions, they say Edom, which was the name of the land, Esau is Edom. He came and his descendants came to dominate that land. It's an impressive story. But there's an interesting comparison in verse 31. A comparison that sets us up for another important point about guides. Verse 31 says this. I probably ought to turn there. 
There it is. These are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the Israelites. So let me get this straight. God promised Jacob all these kings, but it's gonna be a long time before any of those kings come along. In the meantime, oh, Esau's got lots of kings, lots of prosperity, lots of growth. Wow. Kind of wondering whether it pays to be God's chosen if he works so generously through the other guy. Well, you might think that. But then you could fast forward to the end of the Old Testament, to Malachi chapter one, because there we find out, well, what became of Esau and his descendants? What became of the Edomites? Let me just read that to you, because it's pretty sobering. Malachi chapter one, I've loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? God says, is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated. I've laid waste his hill country, Edom, that we just saw in chapter 36. So impressive there. I've laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we're shattered, but, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Wow. So that's what became of Edom. Yeah, so impressive in chapter 36. Now here's the, here's the point. If you're gonna be my guide, I need you to remind me to keep my eyes on God because I keep, I keep wanting to focus on the world. The world around me, is, it's, it's constantly trying to set up for me my definition of success. It's trying, to, it's trying to tell me, this is what blessing looks like. This is what is worth living for. And when I do it the world's way, they will cheer for me. They will congratulate me. They will pay me more money. They will take more of my time. They will draw me in more and more. They will do that. And when I try to do it your way, guide, the, th- the way you've been telling me, the way of God, they're gonna criticize me, ostracize me. And so I need you to remind me to keep my eyes on God, to focus in on his definition of success. Because in the near term, yeah, Edom looked pretty impressive in chapter 36. Then you saw what became of them. I need to remember that and I need you to remind me of that. So here's our list, all the items together. I need you to listen for God's voice. I need you to call me forward. I need you to show me the way. I need you to remind yourself, it's not about me. I need you to remind me to keep my eyes on God. At this moment in uh, Jacob's family story, he plays the role of guide to perfection. But uh, sadly, that won't continue. As the story of Joseph unfolds, he hardly acts this way at all, Jacob. Um, He forgets what it is to be a guide. So in the spirit of calling you forward, let me ask you a couple of questions. One, who is it that God's put on your heart today? There are a lot of people he's put around you. 
but there are a few, maybe, that he's poking you about right now. Can they count on you? Consider this. Just take each one, maybe the one or two. Go through this list with them in mind, just after you leave here today, and ask, how am I listening for God's voice for them? What am I doing to call them forward? How am I walking with them to show them a way rather than just sending them on ahead alone? What can I do to show them the way? How do I need to remind myself that this relationship isn't about me? It's how God wants to use me in their life. And then finally, how do I need to remind them to keep their eyes on God? Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for the beautiful sight of these little families up here this morning and those kids. That was amazing. I don't know how many pictures all of us took and they're not even my kids. It was just so adorable, so beautiful. And what a reminder it is of this sacred responsibility each and every one of those dear parents has that you've entrusted to their care a sweet little life, such a beautiful, beautiful little life. And Father, I thank you for the fact that they're not alone in this. We're in it with them. But Lord, I also thank you for the reminder today that you've put all around us people that you're calling us to influence for you, people whose, whose lives matter and whose stories are unfolding people we get to walk beside for their good and for your glory. And I pray you would make us good guides for them. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that you feel encouraged. To stay up to date with all current sermon series, make sure that you subscribe to our channel. If you'd like to find more ways to get involved with the Bayou City family, visit us online at bayoucityfellowship.com or download the Bayou City Fellowship Spring Branch app to find community in the body of Christ.